A reading from the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things, for I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I am sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I am telling you the truth? Those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They are trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right. But let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone, but at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. Well, good morning. Um, if you are fairly new or just returning, I've met a number of new people this morning. We're engaged in a series of messages where the theme song is centered on relationships. And uh, standing together is the common refrain that uh, is happening Sunday by Sunday here as we think of each message as it's connected to relationships. And uh, we've put a big circle uh, around the importance of loyalty and listening. That was the first Sunday. And then last Sunday we talked about encouragement, uh, the, the way that relationships are strengthened as we encourage one another. And uh, this Sunday we want to meditate on the value of joy in terms of building strong relationships. And I'll try to connect the dots on that. I was going to call the message Building the Joy Pipeline. But uh, since uh, building pipelines these days is not the most popular enterprise in the world, I didn't want to get mistaken and have a bunch of protesters outside. Uh, so uh, we're calling it Filling Up the Joy Pipeline. That'll fool them. It was amusing to me. I woke up uh, on early Tuesday morning, uh, half asleep, and I had this sermon going through my mind, or the sermon outline. Now, most of the things I think about during the night or think about early in the morning or, and half asleep, when I actually get up, I don't remember it all. I, I'm thinking about it for the moment, and they don't make a lot of sense, and they're coming in and going out. But I, when I got up, I at least remembered the outline, and I wrote it down. And when I wrote it down, I didn't think it was necessarily all that inspirational. But it kind of looked like fun to develop. So I, I'm going to 
kind of work at it this morning. The joy of relationships, what makes it, what takes it, what shakes it, and what wakes it. That's when I woke up, when I got to the what wakes it. So uh, we'll go with that, uh, that outline this morning, and hopefully it won't be a nightmare, but that we'll actually be able to see some points here. What makes it? What makes the joy alive in your heart? What produces the joy of life? You know, joy is at the very core of God's desire for every one of us. Did you realize that? That joy is at the very core, the very heart of what God wants for every one of our lives. Uh, Joy will be the essence of heaven when we get there. Joy is the essence of eternity. It's his desire that that joy that we're going to experience one day in all of its fullness will begin to happen right here on planet Earth for his followers. Joy is at the very heart of God himself. I have a suspicion that we sometimes misgauge God's capacity for joy simply because we've grown up with some, some ill-conceived perceptions, some thoughts that we have about God, uh, that we've seen him in, in a way that he's not. We've seen him as stern and judgmental and angry, and we've seen him as the policeman, all of which distracts from understanding it, that at the very core, the very core of who God is, He's joy. And I want you to try to understand that again this morning. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we're reminded of the source of joy. That joy is a result of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. Let me be sure that you have that verse right in front of you. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, the third person of the Trinity comes to reside within your life. When you say yes to Christ, there is a divine transaction. He comes to live within you through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the person of the Holy Spirit. The source of joy comes to live within you. He is there in your life right now. If you've said yes to him, then the Holy Spirit has come into your life and he is joy. And more and more as we walk the journey, we become aware that he is with us. He does a work in our lives all the time. And he helps us in our character formation and transformation. He produces fruit in our lives. And when our hearts are troubled, the Holy Spirit comes and he will bring a sense of peace. And he helps us to love. And he helps us be gentle. And he helps with kindness so that we can really care for others. And he helps us with self-control. And he produces in us a wonderful quality called joy. It comes right from the heart of God himself through the Holy Spirit. 
We sing it. I don't know where that song is, but it's in my heart. Uh, Heaven is in my heart. Heaven is in my heart. That's joy. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you, you live in us and you bring the joy to our lives. Psychologists and neuroscientists have done all kinds of research into the anatomy of joy. They have mapped out the pleasure centers in the brain. They've identified the chemicals uh, that, that stimulate uh, pleasurable feelings. When you feel good after running, there's a lot of runners in the congregation I know, they figured out what is happening to you, why you feel good after running. But the bottom line is that there's still a mystery of where joy comes from. Scientists know where it doesn't come from, and we all know that as well. Joy is not linked to circumstances. You think it would be. Joy is not linked to money. You would think it would be. Or success. Or to status. Or to age. Or to ethnicity. Or even to physical health. You would think it would be. But it doesn't seem to have any significant correlation to joy. Joy is an inside job. It comes from somewhere and it flows into some relational channel. It comes from a source and that source is God himself. You know, it seemed to really be on the heart of Jesus before he left this world. The night before he died, in fact, Jesus told his friends, John 15, that his aim was that they should be filled with joy. That when he left them, that, that they would have in their hearts a deep, deep joy. And not just any kind of joy. He said, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete or your joy will overflow. It's the joy of Christ in your life. It's the joy of the Holy Spirit in your life that is really significant. Jesus was pointing to the nature of God. His nature is joy. God is the happiest being in the universe. Yes, he also knows sorrow. Jesus is remembered as a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. But the sorrow of God, like the sorrow, like the anger of God, is his temporary response to a fallen world. That sorrow will be banished forever from his heart on the day the world is set aright. There'll be no more sorrow, even in the heart of God. Joy is at the very heart of the character of God. And he wants that for us. He wants that for us. C.S. Lewis, I love his statement. He once said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Isn't that great? Joy is the serious business of heaven. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. I love the, the John Ortberg story. Uh, I've, I've shared it before. Uh, let me share it again with you. The story of his daughter, Mallory. John writes that he was uh, giving their young children a bath. And Johnny was still in the bathtub. Laura was out and she was safely in her pajamas. And he said, I was trying to get Mallory dried off. And Mallory was out of the water. 
but she was doing what has come to be known in our family uh, as the Didaw Day Dance. <laughs> and it consists of her running around in circles, singing over and over again, Didaw Day, Didaw Day. He said, it's a relatively simple dance, expressing great joy. When she's too happy to hold it in any longer, the words are too in inadequate to give voice to her euphoria, <clears throat> she has to dance to release her joy. So she does the Didaw Day dance. Well, he said, on this particular occasion, I was irritated. Mallory, hurry. So she did. She began running in circles faster and faster and chanting, Didaw Day, Didaw Day. No, Mallory, that's not what I mean. Stop with the Didaw Day stuff and get over here. Hurry. Then she asked a profound question. Why? I had no answer. I had nowhere to go, nothing to do, no meeting to attend, no sermon to write. I was just so used to hurrying, so preoccupied with moving from one thing to another, and here was joy, and I was missing it. So he, he writes, I got up and I did the Didaw dance together with her, and she said that I was pretty good for a man of my age. What makes it? What makes joy? Well, the source of joy flows from the heart of God. And that which is at the nature of who he is, is joy. And his desire is that joy also becomes the fruit, the nature of who we are. It becomes the deep abiding quality by which we navigate through this journey of life that we are filled with joy. So first, what makes it? Secondly, what takes it? What takes the joy from our hearts? Now, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, this verse on the fruit of the Spirit, it's so important to understand this verse as being given to the church and to make sure that we circle that context. It's a message to the body of Christ in Galatia and, of course, to all of us today. And Paul is teaching here from a big-picture perspective. He's writing to a church that started well and then stumbled. They got, up, they got caught up in law and legalism. And they were moving along very well, and they had found a freedom in Christ. And then a group of people called the Judaizers came along and started knocking them off track. So Paul is working hard in this book to help them understand that they are moving right back into bondage again. And he wants them to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants them to discover anew the guidance of the Spirit in their daily lives. So here it is in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 16. So he says, I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And he gives uh, vivid descriptors of what happens when we allow our sinful nature to rule. Verse 20 covers it more than adequately. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, so on and so on and so on. And then he comes right back to the source of our strength, that it comes from the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. And so he's calling them back 
into that vital relationship where the Holy Spirit is controlling their lives. This is called the fruit of the Spirit, chapter 5, verse 22. And, but we want to be sure that we see it in a context of relationship. Why be filled with love? So we can love others. Why be filled with joy? So we can encourage and bless and fill up the tanks of the people around us through the pipeline of joy. If our pipeline starts flowing from the heart of God, it flows right through us and into the relationships that we have with the people around us. So what takes the joy? Well, one of the places that the joy is interrupted in is in, is in relationships. And, and the passage that Kate read for us this morning was a difficult passage in the sense that it's not really that familiar to us. But maybe in that passage what Paul is feeling is a depletion of his joy because of his relationship with the Galatian church. So can I scoot you back to chapter 4 again and verse 13? Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as if I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Now, if they had done little smiley icons, you know, like we do when we write an email or something, they would have put a little smiley icon right after that. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Paul's making a point. Paul was sick during his time in this region. We don't really know what was wrong, uh, but it didn't seem to bother the people who lived in, in the Galatian area. They loved Paul. They took him in. They cared for him. Now listen to verse 15. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I'm sure you would have eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? So perhaps to remind you, Paul and the Galatians uh, kind of bumped heads theologically, doctrinally. And Paul spoke his mind because he loved them. And what he, he spoke others bulldozing their way in and knocking them off course, he spoke up. Now, Paul was the founding pastor of this church. He felt a real connection to everyone in the body. And they were very close to one another, and then something happened. And Paul says, you felt so close to me that you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me if you could have. Wow. Now, some have suggested that that statement is a, is a clue to Paul's medical condition, that he had a problem with his eyes and they were willing to give him their eyes. Well, it's certainly a possibility. But Paul says, what happened? Like, what, what took all that away? We were, we were tracking together so well. We had a great relationship. I was your spiritual father. And then all of a sudden... We've got a divided track. You know what happened? An important relationship had been damaged and the joy was gone. It seems that joy and relationships go hand in hand. They were in contention with one another over basic doctrine. And Paul's heart was grieved that they had allowed themselves to be pulled away from the truth. I don't, does anyone relate to this? 
You speak the truth and you get alienated? Have you ever done that? A relationship gets disrupt, disrupted and the joy slows to a trickle? I was just telling the truth and you took offense at that. I was thinking of the father of Retea Parsons, you know, the young lady that's been on the news and the 16-year-old from Halifax who took her life because of uh, online bullying. And this week in the news that uh, was reported that uh, the father of Retea uh, was able to visit the prime minister, uh, he and his wife, Retea's mom, and uh, that, that he walked out of that meeting with... Uh, Prime Minister Harper, and had a sense that he had been heard and, and understood and had a chance to, to say how difficult it had been watching his daughter struggling in this, in this situation that was happening in her life and trying to speak into her life and yet knowing that there are limits with a father and daughter, how far that can go. And to, to know that the joy was disrupted in his daughter's life and therefore was disrupted, disrupted in his life as a dad. It's really difficult to be joyful <clears throat> when your friends are going through tough times, when your spouse is suffering, when your ch children are suffering. It's really difficult. Sure, you can laugh and pretend that everything is well, but underneath you feel crummy. You put on the game face, but when someone you love deeply is hurting, it interrupts the flow of joy in the relationship. And if spouses or friends are at odds with each other, it's hard to enjoy life. It's a crummy day when, things, when we're at odds with one another. It's a crummy day when you walk out of the house and you're not right with your spouse. It's a crummy day. Nothing goes right. Have you discovered that? It doesn't feel good. If you go to the workplace where the flow of, of joy is, is evident, it is a much more enjoyable place to work. But whether you or not you enjoy your job depends in large parts whether you enjoy the relationships in your work environment. And it's true in the church. It's true in home groups. It's true in our families. When we are connected to God and each other by the Holy Spirit, joy flows in and flows out of our lives. And the stronger the connections, the more easily it flows. And the more connections we have, the greater our experiences of joy. And the opposite is true. When there are some disconnections, the joy slows. It's like we don't like to hear of oil spills these days. We all hold our breath, oh no, not again. The, the reason, of course, that pipeline expansion is meeting such resistance is the spills, the environment, the impact. We see the pictures on TV and the massive cleanup and the millions of dollars required to get everything back to normal. But when the pipeline in relationships bursts, there's also a massive impact. So the very first thing that's interrupted is the flow of joy, the flow of joy. Now, I want to be careful here to distinguish that if we're walking with Christ, we still have the joy of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's wonderful. Uh, because in the darkest time, it's the, it is the personal connection we have with the Lord, His joy in our heart that, that keeps us. 
And I've witnessed that in my own life. It's the joy of the Lord that keeps us through the darkest nights. But what is interrupted is the flow of joy in the relationships. And that's very real. That's why you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you sit in the recliner until your heart kind of gets some peace again. The joy in relationships is interrupted. What takes it? Selfishness. Selfishness takes the joy. Any one of the many things listed in 5, 19 to 22 takes the joy. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, all of these things. And, and Paul says all other sins like these. Our sins take the joy. The sin of others takes the joy because joy is meant to flow. A break in the pipeline means that joy isn't flowing like it's intended. And that has major implications. So what makes it? What takes it? And then, what shakes it? What shakes it? What shakes it up and gets it going? Said another way, what encourages joy? What shakes it up and gets it, gets the, where are those boosters along the pipeline? What stimulates joy to flow in relationships? I, uh, I can't remember where I heard this. Uh, a lady said, I think it was this week, uh, that uh, she has come to value life in a way that she's never done so before. It might have been connected with the Boston tragedies. But now that she sees, she sees in a way that she's never understood before, that every day you have to live is a gift of God. And she's bringing her best to every day for the rest of her days. Uh, Tony Campolo tells the story. He said, I remember teaching a course at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, where, I picked a up, uh, where I picked on a student in the front row and said, Young man, how long have you lived? And he looked at me and said, What do you mean? I said, How long have you lived? He said, Well, 23 years. I said, No, 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 no. That's how long your heart has been pumping blood. That's not how I told the class about the time I went to the top of the Empire State Building, New York City. Tony Campolo writes, he said, I was nine years old at the time, and uh, as we ran around at the top of the building, I suddenly caught myself and said, Tony, you're on top of the Empire State Building. In one mystical, magical moment, I took in the city. I lived that moment with such intensity and focused on what was before me with such spiritual energy that if I live a million years, the moment will still be part of my consciousness because I was fully alive when I lived it. So I looked at the student again and said, Now let me ask you the question one more time. How long have you lived? And I remember the student looking back at me and saying, Doctor, when you say it that way, maybe an hour, maybe a minute, maybe two minutes. Most of my life has been between the meaningless passage of time and there are too few moments when I was genuinely alive. What an interesting commentary. Most of us do not live life as we should. We let it slip away from us. I don't know where my life has gone. As someone says, it seems to me that just as soon as my pimples cleared up, my hair fell out. <laughs> life slips by. It's gone. It's over. 
But what shakes us? What spurs us towards joy relationships? Perhaps coming to appreciate who God is and his great heart for us to really live and experience his joy. I love the story of the five-year-old girl. One day during a thunderstorm and lots of lightning and flashing of the lights and the sky lit up and the thunder roaring, her dad got up in the middle of the night and went to check on her and he found his little girl standing on the window, on the windowsill, spread, uh, spread eagle in front of the window. And he said, Jennifer, what are you doing? She said, I think God's trying to take my picture. <laughs> Here's a little girl who knows who she is. She knows her value. I'm so important to God, he's taking my picture. That's the joy. The childlike joy. Another pastor father said, I took my son to Disneyland when he was just a little tyke. And as we were leaving, he said, I want another ride on Space Mountain. I said, wait a minute. I'm out of money and I'm out of time. He said, Jesus wants me to go. <laughs> I said, I'm not reading you, son. He said, you remember when you were in church, you said, whatever we feel, Jesus feels it. When we cry, he cries. You said, Jesus feels every emotion we have. I said, that's right. He said, if he feels every emotion I have, then when I'm laughing on Magic Mountain, he's having a good time too. I think he would enjoy it if I had another ride on Space Mountain. Not bad theology. I'm sharing this with you while the kids are upstairs so you don't get to it. You are being protected. We have a God who wants us to be freed from the burdens that keep us from enjoying life and living it intensely. He wants to fill us with excitement, a childlike joy that enables us to live life with incredible, spontaneous enthusiasm and joy. You know, I, we get so serious when we grow older. We forget some of that spontaneous fun and joy that we experience as a child. Those simple dee-da days, they kind of get left behind in the, the busyness and the seriousness of life. G.K. Chesterton said, I think God's the only child left in the universe. And all the rest of us have grown old and cynical because of sin. A great statement. I think God is the only child left in the universe. And all the rest of us have grown old and cynical because of sin. The psalmist said, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We tend to live in the future. Someday, and I appreciated your comments, Lorraine, we've got to look ahead. We've got to look ahead, not behind. But someday we, we, we have this sense that when things change, you know, like when I get some time, then I'm going to start living. I'm going to enjoy life. We go to school and think we'll be happy when we graduate. We have money in the bank today, but not enough. And we think one day when we have more, we will start to enjoy and relax. What a valuable reminder from the psalmist. No, no, no. This is the day. Today. Right today. Right here. Right now. Right at this church. Right over at the brunch in a moment. This is now. 
I will enjoy what God has given. I will enjoy the relationships that God has given me. I will enjoy the family and the friends that God has given me. What a busy week for all of you. I'm sure it has been. You've been going hard. But good for you when you find those moments to laugh. Good for you when you find those moments to have some fun. To contemplate the amazing ways of God in your life. They're all important for the joy, for the flow of joy. So what makes it, and what takes it, and what shakes it, and finally what wakes it, and I'll do this quickly. How do we regain the joy when we've lost it? How do we regain the joy? How do we reawaken the joy we once knew? How does it get restored? Sometimes it's not about relationships with others so much as that is our own heart. We have to restore the joy in our own heart. It's, it's maybe not about that relationship, but it's a vertical relationship. Psalm 51 is a prayer from the heart of David after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And Nathan the prophet came to him and pointed out rather vividly that David had sinned. And he said, you're responsible for Uriah's death and you have committed adultery with Bathsheba. And David immediately felt the disruption in the flow from heaven. Look at what he writes. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. And then verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Friend, the heart of God is forgiveness. Friend, the heart of God is restoration. <clears throat> and the heart of God is transformation. If, if somehow you are stuck <clears throat> in Psalm 51 this morning and you're here and you're just carrying this 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 awful load of guilt and sin. You do not need to stay there any longer. With the same humility that David uttered to God, pray those words, wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. He doesn't want you to stay any longer in your guilt and sin. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to remove you from that estrangement. So receive His forgiveness. Receive His grace. 1 John 1, 9, wonderful verse. If we confess our sin to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness or unrighteousness. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Open your heart to him this morning and say, Lord, just restore it. I'm coming back home. And then, if there is a relational challenge, keep short accounts. Paul says, as much as you can be at peace with one another, be at peace with one another. I know sometimes it's, it's beyond your control. But keeping short accounts when you deal with conflict in your relationships, sometimes those conflicts drag on and on and on, and they take on a life of their own over the years. Keeping short accounts, 
Matthew 18, if someone has offended you, go to them and try to get it sorted through. What wakes it? Reconciliation. What wakes it? Forgiveness, grace, new beginnings, awakens the joy. What, what makes it? What takes it? What shakes it? And what wakes it?